The KGB, the secret intelligence agency of the Soviet Union, orders the assassination of the Pope. It sounds like a plot from a bad Cold War spy movie, but in fact, there are many who believe it actually happened. In the spring of 2006, an investigative commission of the Italian parliament released a report with the shocking conclusion that the leadership of the Soviet Union was ultimately behind the 1981 assassination attempt of Pope St. John Paul II. What was the evidence for this extraordinary claim? Well, the Soviet Union certainly had a ready motive. For prior to becoming Pope, John Paul II was Archbishop Karol Wojtyła, the Archbishop of Krakow in Poland from 1964 until 1978. Poland, of course, at the time was part of the Eastern Bloc, essentially part of the Soviet Union and under the thumb of Moscow. And as Archbishop, uh, the future John Paul II was a vocal opponent of the Soviet Union's religious persecution, uh, as well as their numerous human rights violations. There's documentary evidence that uh, Archbishop Wojtyła caught the attention of many Soviet higher-ups. They saw him as a dangerous ideological enemy, and they considered his election to the papacy a worst-case scenario. In fact, in one document from November 1979, the Central Committee of the Soviet Communist Party authorized the use of, quote, all available means to prevent John Paul's papacy from seriously challenging, uh, seriously challenging the Soviet Union. Finally, there is the would-be killer, a Turkish man named Mehmet Aliaka, a trained professional assassin who not only had strong ties to Soviet bloc intelligent, uh, intelligence agencies, but as late as 1979 had received extensive training from Soviet bloc intelligence agencies in Syria. After that, he wound up somehow in Bulgaria where he stayed at a luxury hotel for a couple of months in Sofia before making his way to Italy and attempting to assassinate John Paul II. Of course, there are those who remain unconvinced by this evidence and probably will remain so unless or until documentary evidence of Moscow directly ordering the assassination is uncovered. But I'll say this, if it happened, if the Soviet Union was behind the assassination attempt, it certainly wouldn't be the first time that a head of state essentially said, well, no one rid me of this troublesome priest. What we see in the life of Pope St. John Paul II is one man who courageously preached the truth of the Catholic faith, even though it would bring down the ire of a militantly atheistic regime and a superpower. And then John Paul's life, his courage and willingness to preach, it illustrates on an extreme level one of the main messages conveyed by our readings today. And that message is this. If we strive to faithfully follow Christ, we will face opposition from the world. Let's look at our readings. In our first reading from the prophet Jeremiah, we hear these strange words. You dupe me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. They are strange words, and we'll get to what they mean in a moment. But first, let's get some context. By the time he utters these words, Jeremiah is an old man experiencing extreme desolation. Once he had been a young man with plans and dreams of his own, he didn't want anything extravagant. He wanted a quiet life. He wanted a family and the most basic of comforts. However, God called him to be a prophet. And he called him to be a prophet in a time when, uh, uh, in a time of great infidelity on the part of Israel. So Jeremiah was given the unenviable task of warning Israel and calling them to repentance. And for faithfully doing God's will, 
he was met with mockery and derision, persecution, opposition from the world, yes, but from his own people and nation. That's the context. But what do the words mean? You dupe me, O Lord, Jeremiah said. Did God really dupe him? No. God does not deceive. God is he who cannot deceive nor be deceived. And Jeremiah knows this truth better than us. He's using a literary device, hyperbole. Uh, he's exaggerating to prove a point. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what is going on here? Well, in short, Jeremiah is struggling with the exact same thing St. Peter is struggling with in our gospel today, the cost of being a disciple of the Lord. To follow the Lord, to follow Christ, means to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, to deny our priorities in life, our preferences and comforts. And so very often the cross that we carry is that we must face opposition from the world to one degree or another. You know, our gospel today is quite the contrast from the gospel this past Sunday, even though it picks up where we left off last Sunday. If you recall last week, Jesus said, You are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That was last week. Today, Jesus basically begins to tell his apostles about his passion, about his crucifixion, death, and resurrection, that Jesus is going to face opposition in the extreme from the world, from the religious elites in Jerusalem, from uh, the Roman government. And how does Peter respond to this? Uh, well, he takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. And Jesus certainly doesn't mince words in responding. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. You see, Peter wants to follow Christ, but without the cross. It's a perennial temptation. But we must come to understand, as, as Peter eventually did, that the way of the cross is the road that leads to life. The cross is the road that leads to eternal life. Yes, in our gospel, uh, Christ asks us to pick up our cross and follow him. Yes, if we are faithful in following Christ, the world will hate us and oppose us. But Christ did not tell us, but did not Christ tell us? Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Now the truth is we do not need to be afraid of opposition from the world. We do not be, need to be afraid of the cross because it is the road that leads to victory. Do not be afraid was the most frequent phrase Christ said in the Gospels. It was also a favorite of Pope St. John Paul II. John Paul preached about those words often, and he lived it courageously. We must listen to these words of our Lord. We must take the saintly Pope's advice and be not afraid. For while we don't live under communism, thanks be to God, we do live in an increasingly secular society. We live in a, a secularism which, to be blunt, increasingly uh, seeks to marginalize the place of faith in our society. If we are going to follow Christ, we cannot go along to get along with secularism. And there are many areas and issues where our Catholic faith and the secularism of the world butt heads. But one major philosophical difference, overarching difference, is this. The secular world embraces relativism. Relativism is the idea that truth especially moral or religious truth, is relative to a person or a group of persons. For example, if I say that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, no one goes to the Father but through him, the relativist will object, hey man, that's your opinion, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Yet the reality is, Jesus either is or is not the way, the truth, and the life. He cannot at the same time both be and not be the way of truth, uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And so what we see in this example is how relativism undermines religious faith by trivializing it 
and reducing it to the level of opinion and preference. No, we must stand up against relativism. It is necessary, for it is not enough to simply practice the faith. We must be willing to share it. We must be willing to go against the tide. And, and the only reason we do that is because we are absolutely and utterly convinced it is true and that no person will truly be happy until they've come to know, love, and serve God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, all of that will bring to one degree or another opposition from the world. I think it's a safe bet to say we won't face the type of opposition John Paul II faced. But even if we do, even if we do face that kind of extreme opposition, we do not need to be afraid. We do not need to be afraid for while we will face opposition from the world for faithfully following Christ, nonetheless, we have the consolation of knowing that only in embracing the cross do we embark on the royal road that leads to eternal life.